Thanks for tuning in to the CoLive podcast, where we explore learnings, insights, and discussions with co-living operators and professionals from around the world. If you're a first-time listener on our podcast, just a quick reminder that CoLive is the world's largest co-living association with the goal to connect, educate, and empower co-living professionals. Today's episode has been recorded during one of our monthly meetups, where we discuss a wide variety of topics related to co-living. To join our network or find out about future meetups and other events, please visit colive.org. That's C-O-L-I-V.org. Let's hop right in to today's episode. So we, we thought we would start by giving a bit of an introduction uh, about, you know, how we got to start Gravity and, uh, and, you know, how we got to where we are today. Um, so first of all, my, my background and my co-founder background, Susanna, is in real estate. Uh, Rob was the fir- first person that really joined us at the very beginning. Obviously, the background is in hospitality, which is that one very important field that we were lacking in terms of track record. And we really needed to, to, you know, to build up a company within the space. Uh, you know, we, all, we all came from uh, ex- different experiences working and studying abroad overseas. Rob, I believe, was working in Spain for a pretty long time and Eastern Europe. Myself, I worked in, uh, well, UK, Asia, uh, and, and the Middle East for about four years. And my partner as well, Susanna, she was working across Europe and the US for a while. So we all realized that there was one thing missing in all the cities that we went to. And that one thing missing was flexible accommodation, most importantly, quality accommodation. On one side, obviously, you have a lot of offering in terms of short-term rentals, you have Airbnb, service apartments, hotels, and all of that, which it's, you know, obviously it's a great product, great service, but it comes at a hefty price. And on the other end, you have the residential market, which is usually not very flexible in terms of contracts and offering, very often poorly run in terms of management. Um, so we felt like we needed to focus on that three to nine months stay, which is where we felt we, there was not much competition and where the demand was going to increase year on year because of mobility among young professionals being our, being our target market. Uh, so that was really the main, the main reason why we decided to get into the space. Also, one of the other reasons was that we, I personally was working a lot with uh, alternative real estate investors whose focus, at least in the UK, was um, you know, in student accommodations, uh, co-working and service apartment, care homes and so on. And we started seeing in 2017, 2016, especially the student accommodation market, which was probably the best performing market at that time with the alternative asset class, that a lot of these big institutional investors were starting to see, were, were starting to look for the next asset class within the alternative uh, real estate sector. And we felt co-living was the one that was going to benefit from the institutional capital down the line. So that was really, um, to me, the, the, main, the main reasoning behind getting into the space. Um, maybe Rob, we can go into the next slide. Yep. Um, <clears throat> obviously, right now with the pandemic uh, hitting everywhere in the world, uh, we feel like there's even more reason to to be in this space. Uh, well, the main reason being urban isolation, which was already a problem before the pandemic, and during the pandemic, of course, a lot of people having to spend. Uh, quarantine or self-isolating for weeks, sometimes months, you know, one bed apartment studio or within their own flat or with the same flatness that sometimes they don't like uh, caused a lot of problems from a mental health perspective. So this is something that 
we've always tried to tackle from day one, but now it's becoming more and more important and more and more a part of what we do on a daily basis. Uh, the other thing is uh, the, you know, the demand for flexible work, uh, f- flexible accommodation. Again, we looked at global mobility in general, numbers within global mobility were very attractive to us before the pandemic. Now with the pandemic, we've been reading a lot of, uh, first of all, we've been talking to a lot of our members, but we've also been uh, reading a lot of reports. I remember one in particular from, uh, I think it was from McKinsey, that talks about how uh, employers uh, are looking at the work from home environment and what their main concern is around this new uh, working environment. And main concern is uh, productivity of their employees. So we feel like with our product, we can not only attract employees, so on a B2C basis when it comes to selling, but also on a B2B basis, we think we can be very attractive when talking to corporate. And this is something that we've been doing more and more lately. Uh, just because it's um, you know it's it's exactly what employers are, are are looking for. They're looking for an accommodation for their employees where they're uh, you know, they have their own private spaces, they have their own uh, shared spaces to work from, but most importantly, their their well being and mental health are taken care of. So this is really, in my mind, why uh, co living will thrive uh, now and post post pandemic. Yeah, moving on, I'll probably just jump in here. Um, This is basically our mission statement. It's simple in principle. Um, And, you know, the main main aim is to improve the the lives of the rental generation, um, specifically around community and allowing for as easy and effortless living as possible so our members can really live by what matters to them. And as we grow, we aim to help kind of remove these boundaries and the, the borders that currently stop a lot of people from, you know, potentially jumping from one city to the next. And hopefully we can offer that kind of familiar gravity home uh, across multiple cities and across multiple countries. So I don't know if I'll, I'll start. Um, the, sure. This is our Finsley Park, first, this is our first property that we opened. Um, we opened it in 2019, the end of 2019, and uh, the average stay is roughly six months, which is you know the exact kind of time frame that we were looking for. It's more of a stepping stone into the city, um, and you can see obviously the pre-COVID and the COVID effect that that we've had. Um, the occupancy did drop down, but this was mainly because of our flexibility, which I'll talk about later on and mostly to, to the, the students that we had living with us. Um, however, um, now we're actually back up to the occupancy level of uh, pre-COVID. Once again, that's down to the fact that we have a lot of flexibility in our, um, in our terms, basically. I think it might be worth mentioning here, uh, you know, the, it took us quite a while to get the first property up and running. And, you know, one of the main things that we were contemplating when when trying to find trying to find the, the right accommodation, the, the right property was should we start with an entire building right away, which obviously meant waiting, you know, waiting potentially months or years before finding the, the appropriate property, or should we start with uh, what we call the fractional model, which is more you know having multiple multiple apartments within certain areas within within London. 
the answer to us was uh, after several conversations, I remember it was quite clear, was we preferred, we, we decided to wait uh, until finding the first property, the first building, uh, because we felt having an entire building to begin with uh, would have been advantageous going forward from a brand perspective. And for us, you know, we were always pretty clear uh, in our head in terms of what the brand uh, needed to be and look like and who it needed to appeal to. Uh, so for us, you know, it was 2017. At the beginning of 2017, it's when we started working on, on this project altogether. And it took us about six months before opening the, the, this property. Um, you know, in terms of numbers, you can see some of the numbers on the slide, but you know, it's a property that roughly generates one stabilized revenue of about half a million pounds. Uh, we had secured a, a long lease agreement of 10 years with a landlord. It's a family office in London. Um, and, you know, in terms of ratio lease to stabilized revenue, it's about 50%, 50% of revenue. So moving on, this kind of gives a bit more detail now regarding the actual property and the design. Um, we designed our first site specifically more as a kind of stepping stone into London. Um, this was from our personal experience of, of what was needed. We focused on community and the kind of integration into the city and the surrounding neighbourhood. Um, we didn't want to make a, a closed community, but leave it kind of it benefits our members and our local neighbourhood to be seamlessly connected and inter interlocked with each other. Um, we also worked alongside our uh, the developer to create a highly sustainable property, insisting and helping him on on his way to create an internationally recognised uh, dream standard development, which is not only a good kind of marketing tool, but it's also very good from an operational perspective when we're offering all-inclusive um, pricing. Uh, we have a mixture of indoor and outdoor communal spaces as well. Uh, we've been able to create a strong community bond and have worked with multiple local companies to help boost demand and quality offerings to our members. The kind of tenant or the, our member kind of personas and, and age ranges, roughly the young professional relocating to the city, maybe their first job outside of the university. And as I said, we really wanted to push them and, and focus on the community. Um, and that's why we offer larger communal spaces and smaller private spaces in this uh, specific property. Yeah, I think something else we can mention on Finsbury Park is uh, to secure, you know, one of the, the terms that we had to deal with when securing the lease was we need to get involved. Well, we had, we had the opportunity to get involved very early days when it comes to designing the property. Um, and we had an input both in terms of the interior design and the FF&E while also offering a contribution to get the right FF&E that we felt like was the, the right product to offer to our target demographic. Moving on then, um, we've learned quite a lot from our first site and obviously we're still learning every day. The three kind of key areas for us though and, and where we learned the most was the tech community and the execution. Um, the tech itself, we understood from the very beginning that being a community-focused company uh, usually means a very staff-intensive operation. You know, if you're looking at hotels, resorts, member clubs and so forth, also, the real estate uh, lettings industry in particular is a very kind of manual labor, classic operation. Lots of signing forms, viewings, signing more forms, taking payments and so on. 
So Gravity invested from the very beginning in two key areas to simultaneously reduce like, staff hours and increase the member experience and allow for both staff and members to spend um, the like more valuable time interacting with each other in a positive way. So firstly, we streamlined the sales process um, by investing in a PMS. Um, this not only offered like a basic kind of sales pipeline first, but was very user-friendly, allowing for viewings to uh, quickly and easily via the mobile app, um, pay deposits, uh, put down pay, um, the rental payments, and also signing contracts. And I've personally seen on like multiple occasions within 20 minutes of a viewing finishing, uh, having someone actually sign up and, and ready to move in that day. Uh, secondly, we invested in a community app. This has been used for both property management and also community management. It allows our members to open tickets for, for cleaning issues, security suggestions, and so on, uh, and also book services such as cleaning, meeting rooms, um, request extensions, and other account management requests. And from a community management perspective, it gives us insight um, into, into our members, what they like, what they don't like, a communication channel to both individuals and the community as a whole. Um, it allows us to promote events and allow members to easily join, uh, as well as members to talk with each other, ask questions, post tips, um, view our partnerships, both local, national, and internationally. Um, and these systems have more than ever like, proven their weight in gold during COVID. Um, obviously, we never predicted anything like this to happen, but having that tech infrastructure in place from the very beginning was really crucial for, uh, for the easy kind of transition this, this past year. From a community aspect, I can, uh, this is my, my big passion, and I can personally talk about this for days, um, but I'll try and keep it short. Um, we had our ideas of you know, what our members wanted, um, what they like, what they need. Um, but the most important thing is to obviously really listen and gain that feedback, collect that data, and truly dive into um, how we can really improve as an operator and provide what our members want. Um, as time went on, we realized that the community goes through cycles. So from the community birth, so to speak, its growth stage, the stabilization, and then to rebirth. And we understand we understood from this the different levels of uh, management and engagement needed at each stage. Um, and through this, we've been able to uh, consider what events, how to interact and communicate with our, with our members and really um, manage the property in the most efficient way possible. Um, and obviously through this, we understood the benefit of organic community growth, organic community management. And once again, considering this um, in the community life cycle stages is really important to understand how best to manage at different stages. If you're starting a new property, um, you will need to put more time and energy into, into the community. Um, but as it stabilizes, it's kind of best to kind of take a step back and have it work more organically. Not only do you save money, but you really see what the members want when they, when they kind of take, take control. Um, and on top of this, this has really helped us plan growth in accordance with our like, existing communities. Um, we can understand now what's the best time to open new sites, how long it takes to, to stabilize a site from a community perspective, um, how long each stage lasts, if they vary, um, what are the controlling factors, what are the variables, and how we can limit these or use these productively in the operation. And each operator will 
have kind of different answers and different questions regarding this. But in my opinion, it's vital for uh, growth and sustainable communities that you need to understand the life cycles of the communities, the current stage they're in, and the member personas that you're trying to attract. Okay. In, in terms of uh, execution on the other end, I think the two main uh, things that we've learned is on one side, uh, well, on the partnership side, we realized that very early on that it was very important to try and aim big in terms of partnerships with real estate uh, uh, developers and landlords. So we spent quite a lot of, quite a lot of time the first couple of months really reaching out and pitching what we're doing, understanding if there was a possibility of getting maybe not necessarily just a full, full building, but potential multiple floors within the same building. That eventually led us to other conversation that for months and months and months didn't really uh, give us any results. But then eventually, after we opened our first building, we're not getting <clears throat> a bit of payback on all this, the initial effort that we put into reaching out to these real estate companies. And we're not getting a lot of, uh, you know, very often we're getting contacted by these companies with uh, real estate projects that, you know, they have an interest in potentially converting into co-living or developing into co-living space that we could operate down the line. On the other end, <clears throat> I think it's also about, uh, you know, speed of execution in terms of due diligence and preparing offers for uh, projects uh, that, we, that we evaluate. From a due diligence side, obviously, initially it started very manual. Uh, slowly, you know, we started to understand more and more what was needed and what was not needed, what was not necessary. As step one, uh, eventually we, we made the decision to start using a data analytics software uh, that really helped us appraise uh, developments or co-living opportunities within certain areas. And when I say appraise <clears throat> opportunities, um, I don't. I don't mean necessarily. Um, you know how viable the product, the, the the project is in terms of location, but it's more about you know understanding what the history behind the area is. What are the trends in terms of uh, rent levels? What are the trends in terms of demand and supply? How many days a property or each unit type would stay in the market for when they're put online uh, on a rental platform? So, trying to really figure out whether that area is a growth area or not a growth area. And then based on that, obviously coming out with a, with a proposal for the landlord. And then, of course, <clears throat> well, in terms of proposal, initially, you know, we thought as a first step, an initial proposal would need to have, uh, you know, 100% of the details you would have. On not, I'm not saying on a lease, but it would be like a very full-on proposal with loads of details when in reality, you don't really need that as step one when you approach a developer or you're interested in a particular property. So we started streamlining what was needed on a LOI or on a proposal. That way, obviously, we started. We were able to see a lot more, a lot more properties at the same time, working on multiple, multiple opportunities at the same time, and eventually securing the right opportunity when it was uh, the appropriate time. And in terms of funding, I think the key, the key taking, the the key take on this was really trying to understand cash flow as much as possible. Obviously, the first property, 100% of what we did were assumptions when we, before opening. Slowly, we started understanding what the true operational cost of, of, uh, of running a co-living space uh, is, uh, you know, what's needed from a human resource perspective on-site and at quarter level. And then based on that, obviously, we were able to predict uh, budgeting for the next 12, 18 months 
subject to better understanding what were what was the likelihood of signing uh, new deals. <clears throat> something else that might be something else that might be interesting on funding is that. You know, we, uh, when we valued the company on the first round, <clears throat> we didn't really know uh, how to value a co-living business. Um, effectively, we started looking at similar, similar business models within the co-working space or the service apartment space. <clears throat> and we got to the conclusion that most of the well-known uh, companies, beside a few outliers, Uh, in with similar business models, so lease agreements, uh, specifically actually lease agreement, not necessarily management agreements, uh, were trading in terms of valuation at a multiple of three to seven, eight times revenue. Uh, so that's, that's sort of the, the benchmark we use to come out with our valuation. And that was obviously very important when, uh, you know, when, when pitching investor and trying to uh, protect the valuation, pointing them at competitors or business, businesses with similar business models. Then, yeah, moving on to our actual team. Um, we started, obviously, with a very small team, but as we've grown now, you know, it's, it's really important for us with a larger portfolio to start getting specialized people in for, for certain positions and having that at the headquarter level. So previously, we had a community manager and sales manager in one role. Uh, we now specialize this, um, having a sales manager at headquarters, headquarter level that <coughs> can arrange uh, everything from the viewings, the contracts, the extensions, with the property management system we use and with the tech layer that we have in place with the 3D tools and so forth. Um, we've now obviously hired a, a marketing manager as well. This personally was, you know, very needed uh we our product was, was very good but it's really now being able to to show that to the world and and having a good marketing person on places helped us in the sales which is needed again as we grow you know we had 34 units to start with now we're growing quite quickly um and we we need to be, be out there and getting organic leads is is a lot more beneficial to us um and now we've got a new community manager which is running the three three properties and once again this is possible because of the layers of tech we have in place that we can have a community manager from headquarter level overseeing three properties and uh, once again this person's got a hospitality background uh, specifically in, in the community building and each person we have has the relevant skills for us to grow and it's important to look at the team we don't want to grow the team too quickly but it's important to look at the team look where where we're lacking skills and what skills we currently have and making sure you're utilizing them the best way possible. And on top of that, making sure the people you have in generally believes in, in the product that we're creating and um, generally believes in gravity because if you don't get the right people on the bus, then you're not going to be moving in the right direction. I don't know if Rick has anything else to add to that or? No, no, yeah, I think we, we, I think you covered everything. Um, Yeah, here it's a bit about our portfolio uh, at the moment. So as Rob said, we've opened our first building in September 19 uh, in Finsbury Park. That's 34 beds, roughly half a million pounds in stabilized revenue. Um, we managed to go from September 19 to roughly December 19 to, from zero to 95% occupancy with a very, very low customer acquisition cost by having <clears throat> loads of partnerships and loads of backlinks with partner companies 
that eventually translated into, <clears throat> you know, basically uh, leads at no cost and likely a lot of conversions at the same time. So that was how, how we managed to get from zero to 100 in Finsbury Park very quickly. Then fast forward a few months, <clears throat> as you saw in the previous slide, we, um, we, you know, we, had, we did obviously see a decrease in occupancy because of COVID, about 20%, if I recall correctly. Uh, but that also to us translated into a big opportunity because typically when we look at uh, securing uh, real estate, uh, residential properties in particular, um, we, we've off, we used to compete with uh, service apartment companies, Airbnb companies, uh, which were not technically or legally allowed to operate residential assets, but still uh, before COVID were bidding for residential assets. So with the pandemic taking place, we uh, obviously a lot of these companies uh, were struggling and they started, uh, you know, uh, getting out of leases on residential buildings. So we saw this as a good opportunity for us to really uh, expand and expand faster than what we initially had planned. Um, and we secured within uh, six months, we secured about a million pounds in, in funding, uh, just above a million pounds in funding. <clears throat> And we, uh, we managed to open two properties, one of which was ready to go and was opened in, December, in October uh, 2020, uh, Camden Lock, with uh, 32 beds and about £700,000 in stabilized, stabilized revenue. Uh, and Camden Town was opened in December uh, 2020. Uh, and by the way, Camden Town <clears throat> was also, also had to be refurbished completely including buying all the, the new ff &E. So again, back to execution, we managed to go from A to Z on Camden Town, I think in three months, more or less. Uh, in terms of occupancy, well, Camden Town, it's about 26 beds. It's a mixture of one, two, and three bed apartments, um, while Camden Lock is one, sorry, they're all two bed apartments. In terms of revenue at Camden Town, we're about half a million stabilized. And we are at about 85% occupancy on a property that we opened in, uh, in uh, December 2020. So, again, it shows that the demand is definitely there. So uh, yeah, Cam Camden Lock, maybe you can talk a bit about the, the product itself, Rob. Yeah, so moving on to Camden Lock. And this is where we, we've definitely shifted slightly. And what we've seen is uh, with Finsey Park originally then, you know, it was more of a stepping stone into the city and more kind of shorter stay, um, you know, roughly six months. But what we wanted to do, we wanted to keep hold of our, of, of our members. Um, and this uh, kind of lock offered us an opportunity to help our members move across from one rental property to the next. Um, our customers, our members are slightly older, more kind of 25 to 40, um, more kind of senior management working in tech. Um, the properties itself is very high end and so the two bedroom apartment with shared facilities such as gym, co-working space, but they all have access to the app as well. Uh, so all the events um, are actually mixed between, between the properties. We then have Camden Town. This is a bit more of a hybrid between our Finsey Park property and our uh, Camden Lock property. Uh, the, the members you know, range from 25 to, to 40 again. Uh, the price point is slightly lower. Um, so we usually have more kind of mid-level management on entrepreneurs living in this property and a mixture of one, two and three bedroom apartments uh, with shared spaces and, and shared communal uh, lounge. 
So we can offer, we either rent out um, entire apartments or we uh, match people with, with other flatmates. So this is a bit more of a hybrid. So we've already seen people move from Finsley Park across to uh, Camden Lock and across to Camden Town. And this, once again, helps reduce um, you know, the uh, cost of, of getting new members to the front door. It also helps with new properties to have people who already understand gravity, already understand the, the kind of purpose behind the communities. Uh, and this really helps us with, with growth of, of each community. And as Rick said as well, we reached 85% occupancy uh, in, in two months of, of opening during the pandemic, uh, specifically with Camden Town. So that was uh, a good success and showing what, what can still be done even during these, these times. Um, moving on then a bit more about COVID and our kind of response and the opportunities. So, as I said previously, we, ha- we didn't predict COVID or anything like this happening, but we ho- already had that layer of technology that helped us with the kind of contact-free support, uh, 24-7 access for, for our members. We had the virtual tours, uh, 3D tours and everything already in place as well. So there was no additional cost for us getting these, these things in place. Um, the, from a hygiene and, and cleaning perspective, we already had a good standard of, of cleaning, but you know, we've, we've now taken that to the next level. And once again, this is something that's really um, bringing people to us in compared to traditional uh, flat shares or, or house shares. Um, obviously, we, we abide by all the government guidelines in, in place regarding social distancing. And depending on which property it is, there's, there's different guidelines that we, we have to stay on top with. Um, the flexible contracts, this was something that actually hit us during COVID. Um, we had people, uh, most of the people that left off Finsley Park site um, were actually students. And this was basically because all universities closed, all the jobs they were doing in hospitality went. Um, and, but because we had that flexibility, um, that meant that they could leave with one month's notice. However, it's now the biggest driver why we're actually getting people through the front door because we have that flexibility. Um, and, and that's something which, you know, is, is a massive positive moving forward. Um, and then we've got physical well-being we've put down here. We've done this from day one um, and we carry on doing it. We're, with the portfolio we have now, we can actually do the virtual events, physical well-being, as well as kind of, um, mentoring and, and counselling services that we, we have on offer. We can split that across the three properties. Um, so even though people can't physically meet in person now, they're actually meeting more, more people in these events and really understanding the benefits of, of gravity and, and the community that we have in place. It's also um, opened up opportunities for us, as, as Rick previously mentioned, where there's more opportunities now um, in regards to... On the B2B. Uh, B2B, yeah. I don't know if you want to talk a bit more about that. Right? Yeah, sure. I mean, I, I touched based on this earlier briefly, but I think we, as Rob said, on the B2C side, obviously people are need flexibility and they're craving community. On the B2B side, we feel like employed, well, not just we feel, but also based on the research we've done uh, and the surveys we've been reading from McKinsey and other consulting companies, we feel like employers will need to make sure more and more that their employees are kept productive and they're taken care of in terms of well-being and mental health. Uh, and that obviously they have the right space for them to live and potentially work, given that there will be this work from home environment going forward. We don't believe it will be permanently uh, working from home, as in, you know, based on the 
based on what we've been reading, it looks like most employers will allow employees to work one or two days a week uh, remotely, but the other days they will be expected to go to the office. And so I, I don't think I don't think people, especially within our target demographic, would be leaving the cities. I think they will stay in London and they will want a flexible contract. That's uh, that's what we think. Uh, in, in terms of uh, growth plans, uh, as you know, as we said earlier, we have three operational buildings at the moment with a stabilized revenue. Once we reach full occupancy on the three of them, which we're not far from, uh, we will be generating roughly 1.6, 1.7 million pounds in revenue. We have total 92 beds at the moment, including uh, some of which are one-bed apartments, actually. Uh, and we have just signed a new building, which is opening in April. Uh, and this is also in London, in West London. And this is going to add 97, uh, well, roughly 100 studios to the portfolio and about 1.3 million pound in revenue. We've also agreed terms on a, on a fifth building, which is going to open next year. And this is uh, roughly 80, 80 studios. And again, 1.3, 1.2 million in revenue. Uh, this is London. International expansion plans, we have uh, decided or we, our goal is to be launching a second city, uh, first European city uh, post-Brexit. Uh, in either France or Paris. We have been uh, working on a number of projects in Paris and Barcelona, uh, particularly. Uh, one of them, which were, we were supposed to open uh, early this year, but unfortunately, because of COVID, it was delayed. Uh, but yeah, the plan is to have something open either in Paris or in Barcelona by the end of the year and obviously continue the expansion across Europe after that. And that's that. That's that. If you have any questions, feel, uh, feel free to shoot. I mean, can I ask everybody to unmute themselves and just give a round of applause to these two guys that have done really amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Honestly, like, Yay. wow. Very good, guys. Very I mean, good. Ricardo is Italian, and in Italian we say urlo libero because you deserve <laughs> it. Which means, yeah, free shouting. Yay. Wow, it's amazing. Yeah. So inspirational. Woo. Yes, I have. I have about 20 questions and we have more in the chat. So I don't sure. think you're going to go somewhere very quickly, but it's fine. I mean, I know you also <laughs> have all the things to do. So I am going to start with some of the questions. And uh, I think Alex is also going to help me if there is any question that touches to what we are already talking in the chat. He is going to jump in. So one of the first questions that was asked was, how did you deal with the rapid increase in members in terms of onboarding and ongoing community facilitation? Did this affect the vibe amongst tenants in any way at all? Yeah, I'll, I'll jump on this one. Um, so basically, as I kind of mentioned in the presentation, we, we look at the, the life cycle of, of the communities um, when we're looking to actually launch a new property as well. The Finsey Park site was actually in a stabilized uh, cycle at the time, which meant that it was mostly kind of self-managed by its members. Uh, we have um, co-living gravity ambassadors. Um, basically, they get slightly cheaper rent and they, they help kind of manage and, and help run some of the activities and, and events on site. So there was no negative effect in that regard. Um, if anything, it was more, it kind of, asked more questions people were interested to see what we were doing how they could help 
and 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 kind of come on board with us to to help grow the new communities um, and this was actually seen as well then with the events we were doing on online when we were bringing communities together that the Finsley Park people could really kind of help show the new members what it's really like to be part of gravity sharing their experiences and and, and so forth um regarding the kind of onboarding obviously we, we basically tripled in in size instantly um but what we did we we kind of specialized when before we had a sales and community manager we specialized so we had someone specifically doing sales across the portfolio and uh we had a new hire to do specifically with the community this really helped us kind of streamline that process and make sure that everything was in place and with the tech layer that we had um it was very easy for us for us to quickly uh, scale that's great because that taps into my second question which is in fact how do you manage the growth with implemented tech application you talk about your psm before i think you guys do you still use the outlet yes no yeah so we're we're still we're still using um yourlet and we're actually developing out our um kind of back end of our website a, a lot more now as well we're, we're not looking to you know recreate salesforce or anything like that it, it's no point but yet what we want to do is actually bring um bring the data from these third party uh, like apps and software that we're using into one place where we can actually use that data then specifically the way that that we look to use it um in a very easy and streamlined way and now that we're actually you know splitting off teams from sales marketing community and so forth we're able to see centralized data and use that data in the most efficient way possible and as i said we we didn't need the app and we didn't technically need the pms at the very beginning with 34 bedrooms we could have done it ourselves we could have used excel sheets and so forth but we always knew that we were aiming to scale and we wanted to do it from the very beginning so when it came to scaling then it was easy we understood the systems our members understood the systems and we knew that it could work and that was crucial if you're looking to scale you know get it in early so we you really understand how it will work when the opportunities arise also the, the other point on tech is that obviously on one side we needed to have full visibility of all the data we were collecting from the different platforms and softwares both on the other end we want we want to give full transparency to the developers and the lenders we work with so giving them access to a snapshot of how their assets are performing that makes total sense and that also taps into another question that was asked which is so what are, what were the channels that you used to keep occupancy high during the pandemic and how did you keep increasing supply so Oh, you're breaking out Katrina. Yeah, I think someone muted me, but it's fine. Uh I said sorry, this taps a little bit into another question which was about what were the channels that you used to keep occupancies high during the pandemic and how did you keep increasing supply? So uh, I'll start with with this one. Um in regards to keeping occupancy high, um you know, you, you can look at it in in two ways. You've got sales obviously coming in but you know it doesn't matter how much water you put in the bucket if there's a hole at the bottom it's never going to get full so we really concentrated in the early stages to make sure that our members are still happy and still satisfied like that's crucial um and then 
on top of that then um, because we opened up more traditional residential properties as well we were able to um, look at other kind of third party kind of booking sites and, and, and things like this like right move zoopla etc which was really interesting because we were getting people then who weren't necessarily originally looking at co-living but looking at it as an as an alternative and it made us you know show people the way show people the light in in, in the co-living in, in in that regard but it was just very important to make sure that you don't concentrate completely on sales you have to make sure that the base you have and the foundations you have with your members are strong so you do not lose that um you do not lose lose occupancy in in that way as well and also it helps with referrals and um, extensions, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. And, and another thing as well, just to quickly mention, you know, as we've grown now as well, we've had additional partnerships um, with uh, kind of tech startups and so forth as well, um, working with um, like incubators and, and so forth. So that's a really good way for us to, to get referrals and get the right type of people through the front door. Yeah, that's very good. Um, Matthew, uh, he asked a question which is relevant to communities. So I don't know if you wanted to unmute yourself and ask it. Otherwise, I'll go for it. Yeah, sure. Hi, okay. Hi guys. Hey, Rob. Hi. hey, Ricardo. Thanks for the presentation. Nice to see you guys. Nice to see uh, Gravity. Um, what, what, what is it? What would you say? Going against Gravity, I guess. With, with <laughs> That's very okay. true. Um, so yeah, I think uh, you were just talking about Robert when you're talking about the kind of community insights, the community data and things like that. Uh, I was just wondering like what kind of um, insights or, or metrics you're looking for and like how you facilitate that with tech, maybe through like PMS or the app or you're mentioning. Um, yeah, and, and how, you, how you use those insights as well. Yeah, so um, basically, we're, we're getting most of our insights through the app itself. Um, we can get a lot of data there, both from like a service perspective and like the property management, because there's, there's two parts of the community. Um, you've got the kind of property management aspect to make sure that the place they live in, they're happy with. And then you've got the community aspect in regards to events and interactions. So you need to, to balance both of them. You can't have one without the other. It needs to be combined. Um, the type of kind of data that we're collecting is everything from uh, like the tickets, uh, so be it like you know, maintenance issues, etc. Making sure that you know high priority um, uh, issues are being dealt with quickly. We're also looking at you know, different room types that we offer uh, in regards to what type of tickets come from our homey rooms. Is it issues with storage in, in those specific rooms? Is it issues with the fridges in other specific rooms? So we can use this data to not just uh, improve that site, but moving forward as well, being able to use it to make sure that the, the properties we create are in the, the, the kind of right kind of stage and setting. Then we look at from a community aspect, you know, everything from events, everything from engagement on the app. Um, but we, we look at the kind of return on investment in regards to like the, the price per attendee for our events to see how many people are actually kind of turning up and if the events are good from an operational perspective. Um, and then through the app, we can do lots of polls. So we look at um, uh, anything and everything we can ask the polls with, but on specific events, what they're looking for in next month, what they're actually struggling with moving forward. Um, and then using that data to predict the best events and the best interactions for the months to come 
but there's there's so much data that we do collect and I can also go in all day regarding this um, but it's good that we're able to collect that data on the app um, and using um, uh, I can't remember the software now T uh, Tiablo or something like this um, we're able to really um, visualize that data and not just collecting data but being able to see the visuals and see the actual impacts and actually use the uh, analyze that then to actually get results there's one thing collecting data is another thing actually being able to to visualize it and use it you're awesome. happy with that Thank Matthew? You. yeah yeah okay. of course of course <laughs> okay um so i'm gonna move on uh Okay, I'm going to move on to the next question uh, that talks a bit more about uh, your London expansion. So you mentioned a little bit more. Uh, you, you mentioned before about a building in West and another one maybe. So um, there was a question that was talking about, is it possible to grow at this pace under any other financing model than a master lease? Question mark. Yeah, uh, I think here in the UK, in London or Europe in general, I think really for startups, at least early stage startups, I think the only way is really uh, a lease that works in terms of operating structure. Uh, if you're in the US, probably management agreement would be, you know, would be more accepted even at an early stage. But I think here realistically, especially if you deal with institutional type investor uh, landlords or investors, lease is really the only option you have. Um so there was a question from Vincenzo, actually, that he just put it in the, in the chat before, and he was saying, Ricardo, why did you choose the lease agreement with the landlord approach instead of a co-living management agreement? Yeah, so that's, that's what I was saying. Like, he, uh, lease agreement was really our only option, and it's also based conversation I had before with uh, other operators in Europe. Leases, it's really the only thing you can do, unless you have real estate, the, the PropCo and the OPCO under the same company. You know, obviously, if that's the case, then you can have a management agreement. But if you're doing a deal with a third-party landlord or developer, uh, leases at an early stage, it's really the only option you have. So it wasn't, yeah. Really, yeah. So it wasn't really a choice made. It was more like yeah, yeah. You, you kind of like had to take and go down yeah. that route because of we, that reason. Is this yeah, something we, that... Yeah, go on. Sorry. Sorry, I was just saying we've we've offered a management agreement to begin with, and it was just not not considered by the landlord. And it's any none of the developer or landlord they were working with at present uh, would consider management agreements in Europe here in uh, in um, in the UK or Europe in general. So this we had conversations with developers in in Asia, very you know just just on the you know just to test the market and the the appetite for uh, operating structures. And it looks like in Asia, at least in the Singapore, Hong Kong, they would potentially be more willing, but I can, you know, I'm not an expert in these markets yet. So. Cool. So, you. yeah, you're welcome. So I'm going to tap into another question actually in here, uh, because you were also talking about expanding outside of the UK and so in Europe. Yeah. How will you, how, or how are you thinking anyway to adapt your product to the European market? And what do you think the main difference or similarities with the UK market would be? Yeah, so I think the beauty of having an asset like company or structure like we do is that you can, you know, first you can pick your partners in terms of real estate once you have some track record, obviously. 
Uh, and then, you know, once you have the partners that you like working with, then you also, it's a bit of, you know, you feed each other information to come up with the final product. For instance, in, in, uh, in France, we've been working for a while with a private equity fund there, uh, a real estate private equity fund. And the approach we had, you know, they presented us with this opportunity, which is a, you know, old residential building from the, this is from like the sixth, 17th century. So it's like very, very old building, you know, and we looked at it and together we came up with a, with a solution that we felt was the appropriate uh, layout and design based on not just on the country and the city, but also the sublocation within the city. And, you know, it was a lot of the information and the, the inputs came from us and our expertise in operating assets. A lot of the inputs came from them and their knowledge of the local market in terms of real estate. So I think it's really a joint effort. But, you know, beside that, I would say us as a company, we, you know, one of our USPs is the fact that we're really flexible in terms of the type of assets that we manage or operate. Uh, you know, if you look at London, for instance, we have our first building. It's, you know, what you would call a purpose-built co-living, you know, micro units or two bedrooms with shared living spaces, shared communal areas, sorry. Uh, and then we have another building, which is, which is a hybrid between a purpose-built co-living and a residential. Then we have one, which is, you know, what you would call a residential building, so traditional apartments. And then the next one is going to be all studios. So we like to, we think there's demand across the board. Um, we like, we want to, we want to cover the entire cycle of the rental market for our specific target demographic. So it's not like we're building a product for everyone. We're building a product for a very specific target demographic being young professionals and millennials. And we are tailor make, making the product based on where they are in their life. You know, it could be someone just arrived in London. They might want to stay in a purpose-built co-living, but then eventually they make their friends, they get to know the city and they want to move into a two-bed apartment or a three-bed apartment with their friends. So we want to be able to do A to, a to Z. Of course. So they still will be in gravity and they will move from one place to another to another to another yeah. because you will be able to cater for everything. Yeah. It's very good. Uh, I know I'll tap into another question and then I think I'm going to open up to the chat because I can see it's getting very fired. So uh, you were talking about actually partners with other people uh, or with other uh, players or anything else anyway. Yeah. And how did how did you find this partner or what's your way of finding the partner to actually support your growth? And what did you learn from this process? Um, I think, well, in terms of partners, we have mainly mainly two types of partners. One being service providers or product manufacturers. So this is partners that companies that we partner with to provide a service or product that we believe our members would enjoy. And, and the goal is to provide that service or product at a discount. So, you know, we started with the idea of reaching out to, you know, I don't know, uh, uh, Vodafone or uh, Barclays Bank. And the idea was, okay, let's get everyone a SIM card. Let's get everyone a bank account set up. And then, of course, you start, you learn by doing, right? So we fairly quickly realized that, you know, we were too small at that stage for some of these big companies. So we started focusing on smaller companies, but still we managed to get partnerships with, you know, companies like Revolut or uh, co-working spaces or, you know, so on and so forth. And then when it comes to massive companies, initially, we just, instead of going directly, we went through 
uh, I don't know how you would call these type of companies, but they're companies that effectively uh, offer perks to their clients and their and their their um, their customers mm-hmm. with all these partner companies that they work with. So it was a mix mix of both efforts. Uh, now, obviously, with a bit more beds, more volume in terms of uh, members that we have on a on a regular basis, we can start approaching all of the, some of these bigger companies. Uh, and obviously, we, we plan to monetize also more and more on the services that we offer our members. At the moment, it's purely okay. Our, our customers want this. Let's offer that at discount. We don't want to. We don't care about monetizing at this stage. Going forward, once we have 10,000 members in uh, you know, 10 different cities globally, then the position would be different. You know, we will be able to negotiate better deals with companies. We will be able to therefore retaliate a bigger margin on the discount. And then at that point, we'll decide, okay, we might take a portion of that discount as a margin and, and that could create in itself a massive revenue stream for the company. So that's services and products. On the real estate side, uh, it's different. I think it's more, you know, I was myself and my partner, Susanna, we were both uh, quite lucky to come from a real estate background. So we did have quite a good network in Europe. Uh, I worked in Asia, she worked in the US as well. So we had a good network pretty much everywhere uh, in, in, uh, you know, Europe, North America and Asia within the real estate world. So directly or indirectly, we managed to you know, sit down with or have conversations with developers, family offices, real estate investors, and so on and so forth, which was obviously very helpful. Uh, but ultimately, I think it's about persistence and just you know, keep going and going and going until you get an answer, whether it's yes or no. Very good. Thank you very much. So I am actually going to open up to people that are here and I wonder if they want to ask the question themselves. Silvia, on the spot. Yes, thank you guys. A great event and so many insights. I'm Silvia from Beehive Living. I was really excited to hear your uh, your turnover numbers. Uh, I wanted to ask for, uh, for the operational model you have in place. Uh, what do you think are a healthy level of profitability targets for us co-living operators? Yeah, so on a, on a lease basis, yeah. On a lease basis, we typically target 15 to 20%. So say 15% of revenue is what we think it's a good target. Net and revenue. That, yeah, and that's what we, the, no, 15% of, of gross revenue. That's what we think it's a, it's a healthy target to have in terms of profitability. So typically you have, you know, say sales, it's here, then roughly 60% would be your lease cost or 50 to 60% would be your lease cost, depending on how much you can negotiate, obviously. And then that operating cost roughly would be 20%. And then that the margin is what we would target in terms of profit. Yeah, so I mean, that's, that's obviously before at quarter cost. There's just a building level uh, profit. So keeping in our portfolio are between 15 and 20. Sometimes more, 15 to 25 actually, sorry. Cool. William? Yeah. Hello, guys. Hello, Ricardo. Hello, Robert. You know, really great to meet you and really inspiring growth. Again, it's, it's also the co-founders here, another co-founder from Behind Living. Um, and guys, the question I have for you was around something that you mentioned. It wasn't small letters, but I think this is meaningful. Uh, you mentioned something about some... Um, 
tailor-made services being introduced during the pandemic. And you mentioned sort of home office being one example of that. Now, we also felt that we had to bring new services uh, during the pandemic, but it was very interesting from your perspective of being London, uh, you know, in a, in, a, in a much larger ecosystem than the one we operate. What sort of services do you felt your residents needed and, and how do you monetize that? Because I saw that you said you, you have managed to extract revenue from them. So tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah, so the, the main one doing the, there's two basically during the pandemic. Um, one is, is home offices. Um, so this is fairly kind of straightforward where we set up, um, uh, we, we buy basic desks, chairs, etc., um, which we can then pass on and, and rent on a monthly basis. Um, this has been like really useful also, um, uh, in regards to monitors as well that we we help provide to to our members so they can have the, the kind of perfect home office experience um obviously this is on top of our kind of co-working areas that that we that we have in in the properties as well um and then the the, the kind of second major service is is cleaning we've always offered it but now it's something that people are are, are very more aware of than ever before um we have our, our own cleaner um for, for the properties so um we've, we've been able to kind of utilize her to help give um either monthly one-off twice uh twice a month or or weekly uh cleanings and it's more to make our la the lives of our members as kind of convenient as possible um and helping kind of reduce as much stress as possible and for example in regards to the the, the home office um after um you know two rentals we, we've we we're making money then on on any any additional rental of that desk chair monitor Um, I also had another question, if I can be cheeky and ask straight away. Uh, I had a question about your FNE. &E. We again, haven't told you yet if you can be cheeky. <laughs> I am. Oh, man, are you just, uh, you're just asking Why did I ask? yourself, okay, whatever, fine. <laughs> Go for it. No, I think, I think, you know, I mentioned, I saw that he, Ricardo and Robert, you mentioned that one of your buildings you had kind of to refurbish and put the FNE. &E. Uh, in and as you know, it's, it's a big cost. And whenever you are doing, depending on the scale that you are playing, FNE becomes something that defines your brand. So, how are you approaching the FNE element uh, right now? Yeah. So, I mean, to be completely transparent, at this moment, we're still uh, really trying to figure out also what what works best for each product that we have. So, obviously, purpose build is different from traditional more traditional residential in terms of product. Therefore, the FF&E also must be different, right? So at the moment, we have invested some resources and time and funding towards having a similar type of approach from a branding perspective throughout the portfolio. But always we want to make sure that whatever building we're in, no matter the location, there is, it reflects the brand, but also it needs to be uh, reflecting the local area and like re re you know, reminding people of where they are. And, you know, otherwise it becomes very bland and very flat, right? Like if we have, if all our buildings were the same, you know, in London, Paris, uh, Barcelona, or whatever we are, then it becomes very, 
very sad as a brand in my perspective. So it's something that we have invested capital. Bear in mind that so far out of three properties we've opened, uh, one was completely fully furnished. So for us, really, the investment on the FF&E side was just about accessories. Uh, one was partly furnished, and we had a, an input on the design and, and the FF&E, and we put a contribution towards the ff but eventually it was the landlord, the developer that purchased all the ff &E. And the last property we opened, we, it was all us. So that was the building, it was given to us. 100% of all the ff &E, all the, you know, the color of the paintings, the carpet and all of that, all of that was decided by us. Um, uh, I, I'd say part of our plans with the next funding round, we're, we're raising a Series A now. Uh, part of our plans is also to really sit down uh, with our marketing team and uh, eventually have some creatives on board and really uh, nail this aspect of the business going forward. Uh, so we're, we're working now at the moment on a, on a new presentation for developers. And this is more not just we have all the numbers, we have all the projection, all of that is covered. But we want to have a new, we're preparing a new presentation for developers specifically for this to make sure they understand that on one side, we're flexible and we, we like to work with different products. But on the other side, we want a, a certain standards, uh, no matter location or the type of products we have. I'd just like to jump in here as well. Um, obviously, the, the ff &E is very important, but it doesn't define gravity. Um, it's when, like, obviously, the design and everything is, is, is crucial, but... What defines gravity is the community itself rather than you know we have to have a certain type of bed or we have to have a certain type of chair um so that also gives us a bit more kind of flexibility in in this case yeah is that okay do, do you need hopefully to that answered your you need, question you need to be cheeky again or can we continue are we allowed to continue thank you kind sir <laughs> <laughs> Um, You're lucky having a meeting in time, but how are you? <laughs> okay, okay. I think, uh, thank you, William, for that. I think, Alex, uh, you wanted to ask something, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm a little scared, Kat, tonight by you. Anyway, <laughs> uh, guys, uh, thanks for your absolutely terrific uh, explanation and presentation. Um, based on my data, 2020 question in our community was, the kitchen <laughs> so yeah. um that is an open i, I guess it's still today 2021 is still uh, it would be an open an open question so i understand you have very different uh, layouts and uh, you, you you probably have the units and the, the the two bathroom and so on so maybe in your case it's different but let, let's guess you just have a unit mm. uh does you provide kitchen in the single unit or kitchenette or you push on the common one? Uh, I mean, Rob, you can, if you want, you can go, for, yeah, go for it if you want. <laughs> I can tell you maybe about the, maybe you can, you can talk about what we have now and then I can tell them about the Elian Broadway and other projects that we're working on, which is more up there. Yeah. So for our first property, Finzi Park, which is um, like in the UK, it's, it's classed as a HMO, a large scale HMO. Um, we have, a uh, shared kitchen on each floor. Um, in each kitchen, we have, um, it's basically two kitchens in, in each kitchen, two ovens, two lots of hobs, two sinks, etc. cetera. Um, but also in each bedroom, they have their own fridge 
um, and possibilities to, you know, some people have their kind of microwave, their toaster and, and so forth in, in there. Um, but something that we can uh, really push at Finji Park specifically is um, the kind of community sharing, community cooking. Uh, we actually provide um, uh, a free communal dinner at least once a week. Um, plus, we we kind of promote our members to do to do the same thing. Um, and also, we for example on Thursday we've got an online virtual cooking class. Um, so we, we try and utilize the kitchen as much as possible. Obviously, you've got the whole COVID situation, which can be a bit more kind of dangerous, I guess, in, in regards to shared, shared facilities. Um, but we have our cleaner uh, clean the kitchens five times a week. Um, uh, so the, the standard of cleaning is, is high. We've got protocols in place in regards to, to cleaning the kitchens. And another reason why we kind of promote um, kind of shared cooking um, is that we don't have too many people in a kitchen at, at one stage, but on average, there's around five people uh, per per kitchen. So it's it's not uh, it's not overcrowded, and people work in different different shifts, different time frames. It's it's fairly um, it's it's a fairly good good kind of spread, so to speak. Anyway, no, uh, we have time for a couple of more questions. Obviously, we've already been going on for one hour and a half, and I. No, otherwise I'll ask you the last question. Me? Yeah. Oh, the pressure, the pressure, the pressure. Why gravity? Where's the name coming from and how did you come up with this concept? Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> just a bit for a second as well. So the name was already picked before I joined, right? Mm -hmm. But I've got my own take on take on it anyway. But go for it. No, you go. Let's see, let's hear yours first. <laughs> So my my take on it, um, as I didn't choose it, but my, my take on it is, you know, community it, it brings people together, and and that's what we're that's what we're trying to to create, uh, and not just our members, but you know the wider communities that we're we're involved with, um, and then I also have this kind of idea um, that you know we're we're aiming to help people and help people grow. And, you know, you've got the, the whole kind of big bang situation where, you know, gravity pulls everything in, but then it kind of explodes out. And I hope that, you know, people who stay with gravity and then move on, that they'll take a bit of gravity with them and kind of share that with, with their new communities, wherever that may be. Um, and that's my slightly kind of hippie and community focused reason behind it. Slash geek. Which is All right. My my take my take is slightly different. It's more uh, in your subconscious. So, you know, when you think of gravity, the name, the word gravity, you think of uh, zero gravity, and zero gravity is something that everyone wants. That everyone wants to experience zero gravity in their life, right? No gravity, like floating around and stuff. So, in your subconscious, in my mind, at least that's what I think, and Susanna, we feel like that's that's what would you know intrigue people you know if you say gravity you think of zero gravity and therefore you think of something that you would want to try i like your explanation i like yours too robert there's no judgment here i promise but i, do, <laughs> I understand exactly where you're coming from ricardo yeah but, but yeah, so, like sorry rick, rick, sorry rick but did you try the zero gravity at, at no well i mean <laughs> I, I every day you know every day <laughs> ah, <laughs> okay okay <laughs> 
<laughs> okay, well, I, I, I don't have any more tricky question on anything else. So I would like to ask everybody, please, to unmute yourself and give the guys another round of applause. Super inspiring. Thank you so much. Um, I mean, I, I'm going to book you straight away for the event next year, obviously. The opening event of the season is going to have to be you. So you triple this year, you're going to double again and grow exponentially. Maybe next year we will be able to talk more about the European expansion or the world expansion, I guess. And yeah, I mean, thank you very much. And, and thank you for being very, very open and sharing every single thing and replying to all the questions without, you know, like hiding anything and just being like super open. I think it's very inspiring and it's very much what we are at Colive as well. Thanks again for joining us today. And from all of us here at Colive, we hope you learned a lot and maybe even picked up a few pieces of wisdom to help expand the co-living movement. To check out the co-live membership that will allow you to connect with other leading co-living professionals, or even just to stay updated on future podcasts and upcoming events, head over to colive.org. Again, that's co-liv.org. Thanks again for tuning in, and we look forward to having you back for our next episode.